There is an oft-quoted, if dispute account, about the essence of jazz. Depending on which biography you read, or perhaps which jazz legend you prefer, it was either Louis Armstrong, possibly Fats Waller, or maybe even Jelly Roll Morton, who was asked by a dear old white lady, what is jazz? To which the apocryphal response politely came, Madam, if you gotta ask the question, you ain't never gonna understand the answer. Down through the history of the one true American art form, several similar stories have been uttered, but the one I prefer can be sourced to a 1959 article in the then monthly magazine Downbeat, which recounted an event where a high school music student was trying to figure out Jimmy Dufresne's short composition Scintilla One. Scintilla One is the first track on Dufresne's 1956 album Tangents in Jazz. Befuddled, the music student yelled at the maestro, where's the rhythm? To which Dufresne said, it's understood. like rhythm, jazz is so understood, it does not need explaining, what about David Lynch's Mulholland Drive? Hailed as a masterpiece ever since it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May the 16th, 2001, its plot, not to mention what it actually means, is nonetheless enigmatic, to the point of being downright mystifying. And yet, despite the debate and puzzlement, a 2016 survey conducted by the BBC voted Mulholland Drive as the best film yet released this millennium. In fact, for the decadial BFI survey, Mulholland Drive is only one of three pictures in the last 20 years to appear on the list of the 100 best films ever made. The others being Edward Yang's Yee Yee and Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Mulholland Drive? What is it about? Can we apply Dufresne's answer that it's understood? Only it's not understood. For nearly two decades, Mulholland Drive has baffled audiences and challenged critics, with all manner of harebrained theories being posted about the internet. Most directors offer Blu-ray commentaries to sometimes explain their intentions. Not Lynch. Not ever. Here he is back in 2011 on the YouTube channel Room Room 6. You know, a film is... Uh when it's finished, all the elements together um, in a way that feels correct and feels complete. And that what, that's what goes out. So since it's complete, um, in my mind, nothing should be talked about more. And it's a, it's a, a very big shame when um, something is finished and then people want you to translate it back into words. In fact, for the Mulholland Drive Blu-ray, Lynch even went so far as to insist that no chapters be provided, which means you can't skip over the moments you don't want to watch to get to the ones you do. As a result, no one convincing theory has emerged as to what the film is about, let alone what actually happens. So honestly, would it be of any benefit to detail that it opens with a woman, played by Laura Haring, surviving a car accident and as a consequence of her ensuing amnesia, winding up at the door of Betty Elms, played by Naomi Watts, who has traveled to Los Angeles with the hope of becoming an actress. The concussed woman thinks her name is Rita, so Betty helps her on the road, 
or should that be drive to finding out who she really is? Or is it that Betty adopts the woman lacking an identity to help Betty realize her own ambitions of becoming someone else, that is, become a movie star? Does that make sense? It might, but not when we remember that besides Betty and Rita, there are two other women, one called Diane Selwyn, also played by Watts, and the other, Camilla Rhodes, also played by Haring. But before you figure that one out, remember this. Before we see Haring as Camilla Rhodes, Camilla is portrayed by another actress, Melissa George. The narrative backflip and side twist that Lynch pulls is so surprising, it is something way beyond what other groundbreaking stories have achieved, and that includes the likes of Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, Alan Hone's Last Year of Marianne Bad, Chris Marker's La Jetée, Ingmar Bergman's Persona, and Lynch's very own Lost Highway. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. So, if we have to ask what Mulholland Drive is about, in all likelihood, we're not going to understand the answer. Ever. Lynch is a surrealist whose work has never been designed to be rationally understood. So let us agree that Mulholland Drive is a puzzle. And instead of it being a mystery that needs to be solved, try that and instead of solving it, what you're examining simply dissolves. It centres around ideas and atmosphere and how they aggregate to induce a nauseous and frightening event. Lynch had originally conceived the project as a potential TV series. A 90-minute pilot episode was shot with a closing scene that was deliberately open-ended for the series to develop. But the executives at ABC didn't like it, so it wasn't picked up. Which means it lay on the shelf, ignored yes, but also talked about with varying degrees of aggression derision. Then, about a year later, the French company Studio Canal stepped in, offering Lynch the chance to extend the pilot into a standalone feature film. Here is Lynch in 2013, talking to Etienne Genoux for Chabonis Television. Uh, it took a long time to go from the TV series they didn't want to get the deal made for the feature film. And then the day came when I got a green light to turn it into a feature. And I had zero ideas. I just hadn't been thinking about it. And then it came the day that I needed to get those ideas. And that night, I sat down doing my meditation, and in there, uh, like I say, like a string of pearls, all the ideas came, all at once, like a string of pearls, and, and there it was. Or, to quote Lynch from the special features package on the Criterion Collection Blu-ray edition, the whole should never be greater than the sum of its parts. To which we might wonder, is that whole with or without a W? Is there supposed to be a void, a space, a nothingness at the centre of all those parts? By which I mean at the heart of the blue box. Don't be mad. 
Don't make it be like this. Oh, sure. You want me to make this easy for you? No. No fucking way! It's not gonna be! It's not easy for me! Diane! That sudden switch where Betty becomes Diane Selwyn and the woman who might be Rita becomes Camilla Rhodes puts me in mind of Luis Bunuel's final film, That Obscure Object of Desire. There, a young woman, Conchita, is pursued by a wealthy businessman, Matteo. Reading the script, you might think that Conchita is behaving somewhat irrationally, or at least inconsistently. But when you watch the film, it makes a lot more sense. Because, depending on the scene, Conchita is played by Carol Bouquet or Angelina Molina. That is because, again, depending on the scene, the script called for Conchita to appear nude. Bouquet refused to do the scenes, so Bunuel made the seemingly surreal decision of getting another actress to play the same part. At first, a little confusing for the audience, the fact that we eventually brought into the entire construct reinforces all illusions we entertain as plausible every time we watch any film. To me, Bunuel was only exaggerating the conceits earlier films such as Vertigo and Persona had been playing. Either getting one actress to play several roles, or hinting that two actresses swap roles. And that brings me to the sequence where Betty and Rita go to the Silencio Club, where they see Rebecca Del Rio perform a Spanish rendition of Roy Orbison's hit, Crying. Yo estaba bien por un tiempo volviendo a sonreír Luego anoche te vi Tu mano me tocó y el saludo de tu voz te hablé muy bien y tú sin saber que he estado llorando. Del Rio's interpretation is so powerful, Betty and Rita are moved to tears. But then, Del Rio's performance overwhelms her, and she collapses on stage. Yet, the music continues. But we shouldn't be all that surprised, because moments earlier, before Del Rio stepped through the curtain, we saw a trumpet player miming to music on playback. But the manner of Del Rio's lip-syncing calls to mind Lynch's earlier masterpiece Blue Velvet, where Ben, played by Dean Stockwell, appeared to be singing to another Roy Orbison song, In Dreams. I close my eyes Then I drift away Into the magic night I softly say A silent prayer Like dreamers do Then I fall asleep Mulholland Drive is not so much a dream as a nightmare, repeatedly delivering an experience so unsettling that you get the sense that everyone in the story is haunted either by their own ghosts or, by ambition so vivid, alter egos erupt and stalk the valley, where, under the unavoidable pressure the film industry brings, they are crushed and left for dead in gloomy apartments or the fuming backlots of diners. In which case, Mulholland Drive is far from the first film to take such a dark view of Tinseltown. Wait a minute, haven't I seen you before? 
I know your face. Get out, or shall I call my servant? You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the picture that got small. Lynch has declared Billy Wilder to be one of his favorite filmmakers, with Sunset Boulevard in particular, one of his favorite films. But that is far from the only film to which Lynch refers. Very prominently displayed in Betty's bathroom is a poster for the noir mystery, Gilda, which had Rita Hayworth in the title role. In fact, when Haring's character is asked by Betty who she is, it appears that the poster has jogged her memory. Lynch carefully frames the shot, so we see Haring's character with her back to us, with her face reflected in the main mirror, while she looks at a smaller mirror in which is reflected the poster for Gilda. The dual images of Haring, offset against the poster, offers for an ironic visual counterpoint of that movie's tagline, which reads, there never was a woman like Gilda. Why did you marry him? My husband's a very attractive man. You don't love him. What was that word again, Johnny? You married him for his money. That happened to come with him. No, it's a great way to make a living. That wouldn't be the big part calling the little kettle black now, would it? I was down and out. He picked me up, put me on my feet. Now, isn't that an amazing coincidence, Johnny? That's practically the story of my life. There is, of course, the very plausible possibility that Haring's amnesia character was not called Rita at all, but rather a name she simply adopted. In which case, Lynch may be alluding to the fact that towards the end of her life, Rita Hayworth was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. But Lynch may have chosen Hayworth as a reference because, while Haring's character might be unconsciously playing a game, her name might not be Rita. It was not Rita Hayworth's either. She was born Margarita Carmen Concino, and before becoming a fully-fledged star, she adopted as her own her mother's maiden name, Hayworth. The consensus is Hayworth did so because it delatinized her persona. But choosing her mother's name and rejecting that of her father might have been a very pointed act because throughout her teenage years, Margarita had appeared with her father, Eduardo Concino, as part of a troupe, the Dancing Concinos, all while being subjected to a sexual abuse. You do hate me, don't you, Johnny? I don't think you have any idea how much. Hate is a very exciting emotion. Haven't you noticed? Very exciting. I hate you too, Johnny. I hate you so much that... I think I'm going to die from it. But it is another image in Betty's apartment, this time a portrait, that is of major significance. In the living room is an oil painting of a 16th century Italian woman, Beatrice Cenci. Painted in the classical Renaissance style by Guido Reni, it shows Cenci looking at us back over her shoulder, dressed in a white top with a white headdress. But for all the innocent white, Cenci was in fact a tragic figure who was executed after a trial, found her guilty of murdering her father. Her motive was that he had repeatedly raped her as a child. And although the young Beatrice had reported his crimes to the authorities, being of noble birth, Count Francesco Cenci escaped punishment. What has this got to do with Lynch's plot? Probably the mood of terror and fear experienced at various times by Betty, Rita, and above all, Diane Selwyn. A fear of male domination, of an industry where mysterious men have the power to turn an actress into a star or destroy a woman's life and leave her for dead. Consider the moment in Winky's Diner when Diane meets with Joe the Hitman, played by Mark Pellegrino. Joe's other source of income is trafficking sex workers, 
women who waitress in the same diner. Which makes you wonder exactly why the producers of the film that Betty goes to see being made insist on a particular young actress being cast in the lead role. You were recasting the lead actress anyway. Audition many girls for the part. When you see the girl that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl. Clearly, Mulholland Drive defies interpretation. And yet, that defines challenges so many people to define its meaning. Maybe that is because, as the years roll by, just like its plot, the meaning changes. Because right now, Mulholland Drive appears to address patriarchy, misogyny, and the way women have been mistreated in the film industry.